at a youth retreat, you hear things like, that smell isn't me. <laughs> and that's a conversation you leave. That, those are ones you don't want to be a part of. That's, that's where you head the opposite direction. You don't care who it was, nor what it was. You just don't want to be there. But when we get parts of conversations, like we know that they're clues to other parts that uh, were present. You know, there is a there is a he and there is a that that was done. There is a money and there is somebody who's finding it. There is a smell and there is somebody who who was the origin story of that smell. And. That's kind of what we have here. So with that in mind, I want, I want to read for you the two verses that Kath's been leading us through. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, there's, there's one phrase that I get to sit in that, that really stands out to me. If I'm passing this conversation, the phrase that stands out to me is that God did not send the Son to condemn the world. Okay, that's not just a random statement. Jesus isn't just saying random things. He, he's not saying like, well, God didn't only made ostriches. No, if he said that, that would mean that Nicodemus was probably talking about is the only animal that God made an ostrich. So somewhere in this conversation or in this culture is this idea that God sent Jesus only to condemn the world. Either Nicodemus believed that, or maybe the Pharisees did, or maybe in the just culture of the day, there was this belief that God was angry at the world and wanted to condemn the world. So Jesus had to correct this thinking that had made its way into the conversation and say, no, God didn't only send the son to condemn the world but to save it. Now, it particularly stands out to me because I think we live at a time where that belief also exists. There's a fear in some people that God wants to condemn the world, that God hates the world. You, you remember, I don't know if you guys watch as many action movies as me. I, I say that I'm a pacifist, but I love a good action movie. And uh, somewhere, if it's a good one, there's always the scene where the hero and one or two other people walk away from a building that just had like a, a match lit. And they walk away real slow and looking real awesome. And then the whole building goes up, right? And they don't turn around and look. They don't need to. They know what happened. They just won. Whatever it was, they just saved the day. And for whatever reason, I'm cheering. I think it's fantastic that they just blew up the world. Kind of outside of my thinking otherwise until you put that TV on, I guess. A lot of people now live with the idea, the fear, that God just wants to light a match. That this world, just get rid of it. The people that God likes are going to heaven. The rest, going down with the building. But here's the thing that's more bothersome to me. There's some who live with a fear of that. There are others who are almost celebrating it. Almost having their popcorn and watching this movie unfold, like me watching this action movie. Sadly, there are times where we are brought into a place, into a church, into a community where the idea that God wants to condemn the world, just light the match and burn the thing down, is somehow a rallying cry that like, yeah, we're, we're the good ones. We get to walk away from the building. 
and, and everybody who's going down, they're just going down. And there's way too many people celebrating and acting like this is somehow good news. And the idea that God wants to condemn the world has leaked into way too many of our actions and our thoughts about God and our thoughts about ourselves. See, this is not the case. God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save the world. Eugene Peterson, he, he, he phrases this really well. He says that Jesus came to help, to put the world right again. That's the point. Super simple. This shalom that we hear about, that often, like Martin is talking about, this, this not just absence of war, but this abundance of of generosity and provision and enough for everybody, the world being right, that is what Jesus is about. That's what he came for. Not to light the match, but like to weed the garden. It's a very, very different outcome, very different purpose. And then the question becomes, well, how does he intend to do that? And we're told in the previous verse, you believe in him. For anyone who believes in him, right? We know this. If you watch a football game, uh, for everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. But there's a question to me that comes out of this belief. What does belief look like if our theology is God is condemning the world? Because some of us have come to belief under that idea. There's often like semi jokes in churches about like fire insurance. And I, I came to Jesus to not go to hell and some of that kind of stuff. Well, that's that thinking that like God's going to condemn everybody. And so I better I better get on the boat. I better figure this thing out. What does our belief look like if our thought is that God hates the world and is condemning the world? Belief is it's unmeasurable. You don't know if you have enough of it. You always live a little bit afraid that you're supposed to believe more or you're supposed to do more or that you're lacking, that you're on the wrong side of this thing. It's the belief is a moving target. If you're with one group of people, it looks like you, you pray this way and act this way. And then if you're with another person, oh, no, that's not enough. What it means is you need to read more and you need to serve more. And then you go do that. And it's constantly moving and shifting a little bit uncertain. This belief when we believe that God is condemning the world, it's very insecure. And it's based on us, right? I need to sin less and do good more. I need to help more. I need to be more selfless, even if I'm the most selfless. I I need to kind of hate me. Not just hate the sin in me, but I kind of need to hate me. Which means like, I, I, I don't like coffee anymore. And I ignore the fact that I really like a good record. Because apparently that's where all the hate of the world comes in. If you read through the Old Testament, our belief in the God who is condemning the world looks a lot like the worship of other gods. It looks a lot like the people who believed in other gods where the God was angry and the God was vengeful and the God was shifting and everything was insecure and uncertain. Look like the people who we've talked about this who would offer one offering over here and then offer another offering at this temple and another one at this temple just so that maybe one of the gods would take care of them because it was that insecure. And I think, or I humbly say, I think some of us have had some of that belief sneak into our belief set. 
some of that that it's on us and we've got to do more if we're really going to be a part of what God's doing. And sometimes the Holy Spirit does prompt us to do something or, or to repent. Obviously, these are things that the Holy Spirit does. But if our posture is, of our belief is constantly that we're not enough, that tells us something. So what does belief look like if Jesus' intent was to set the world right? What would belief look like then? I believe belief in that situation would look like Jesus saying, I've got it. I've got you. Y'all have any friends like that who if they say they've got you, you know like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm in a, I'm in a pickle. I don't even know what that phrase means. I'm in a pickle and I'm stuck and I'm overwhelmed. But this friend said, don't worry about it. Stay here. I'm coming back in an hour. I've got you. Oh, okay. I'm good. Yeah, I can relax. I can even kick my feet up in the middle of the pickle. (laughs) Made me laugh. In the middle of the pickle, I can relax because, well, my friend's got me. Your friend is probably awesome, but your friend is, is not as awesome as Jesus. Unless you're thinking of Jesus, then you just won the church thing by saying the answer is Jesus. But I believe that what Jesus is saying is, I've got you. And your job is to believe that I've got you. I am setting the world right. Your task is to believe that I am setting the world right. What if I do that in the midst of doubt? He's got you. What if I believe in Jesus and it's 30% accurate and 40% made up in my mind and 30% undiscovered yet? I really think he's got you. What if my thoughts are are anxious and racing? He's got me. He's got you. You see, the emphasis is on Jesus. It's on the object of the belief. It's not on you. The emphasis of the sentence is not your belief better be really good. You better be good at it. The emphasis is on Jesus. Jesus is really good. Really good. And because Jesus is really good and Jesus' intent is to make the world right again, he's got you. And then our job is to believe that that is enough, which that's tricky, right? To kick our feet up and believe that Jesus is enough. Well, like tornadoes are hitting and all this kind of stuff and not add on to it, not say, well, I got my belief, but I also got this and that. That's tricky. But I believe that that's really what scripture is saying. And what if that was really enough? What if that's really the belief that Jesus is talking about? So we, uh, we, we did a little bit of Christmas at the house this year. There, there's a couple trees up and stuff. And uh, the, the, the kids, this is our first Christmas in this new house. And uh, they wanted trees in their own room and were obnoxious enough to let our children have that. And so they each got these like pretty affordable little fake trees and they each got to buy a 50% off little thing of bulbs you know so the really good ones and uh, Durant's room looks like what we would all say is awesome he did a really good job designing it all matches all this kind of stuff and Anna's room looks Anna awesome and it had me thinking about this belief because 
how I grew up, the last thing you do with a Christmas tree is you put the star on top or the angel, whichever one you have. And those were the only two. I don't know why it's not like a waffle, but it's always like a star or an angel. And it's a big deal. Whoever gets to do that. And like somebody gets hoisted up or it's a ladder that goes up. And the last thing is that. And then the lights go on and everyone cheers. And at least that's what nostalgia tells me. But it's, it's like hard to reach, right? It's a hard thing to do. you got to get all over all the ornaments and not hurt anything. And no, I'm really close to Zoom. That was really close. But uh, you gotta, you got to do that. But honest tree is totally different. Honest tree, everything is like knee high. She had like, I don't know, 40, 50 ornaments. And she took her time to put like seven ornaments per branch. And all around the knee height. And the top three feet, there's nothing there. Why? Because she does not look in there. Her stuffed animals aren't looking there. And that's a lot of work. Everything is knee high. Everything. You can lay on the ground and Christmas is within reach. You can be pouting on the floor and reach up and touch 40 different versions of Christmas. And I wonder if that's what belief is like. Sometimes we make it so high, so we can't reach it. We have no confidence. We're tiptoeing and acting like it's all, I, I can't do this wrong. And anything I've ever tried to not do wrong, I do wrong. But I wonder if this like, hey, I didn't come to condemn the world. But to save it, to make it right. right. And your task is to believe it. I wonder if that's putting Emmanuel, putting Christmas, putting Jesus at like knee height. So if at the best you can do today is lay on the floor and look up, Christmas is within reach. If you fall out of bed because you're so exhausted, you're so anxious or whatever, I really think Christmas is within reach. I think that Jesus is saying, just believe. Believe in me. And what are you supposed to believe about me? Not, not this giant test that you're going to take on Scantron that's like, Reaching the very heights? No. What you're supposed to believe is I've got you. I've got you. And next year we'll celebrate Christmas again. And, and we'll say, okay, what is God revealed? How much more do we know about him? But I guarantee you, Christmas will still be within reach. That if one of us is still laid out on the floor, crying, sad, grieving, lamenting, Christmas is within reach. Jesus is within reach. So I wonder, are there ways that we can we can be more honest about our belief? Are there ways that we can make it more about Jesus and a little less about our effort? Are there ways that we have acted like belief and salvation and all of these things are these like high up, you got to be able to climb the ladder and reach over things and do this and that. Are there ways that we have put it outside of the reach of others and ourselves that maybe Jesus wants to change for us right now? Because I believe that for our, our friends in, in Mayfield, who a tornado just wrecked their city, and whether it wrecked their personal life or their city, I believe that in real ways, Jesus wants to say, like, I, I've, I've got you. And I don't know why this is all allowed. I don't know any of this. 
I believe I was telling Miss Diana I had just lost a cousin uh, yesterday. I have an aunt and uncle who are real dear to me that um, may not make it till Christmas or 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 shortly after. They're both real ill. I don't I don't know why they're going through that, but I really believe that Jesus' intent when he was here and Jesus' intent today is to make the world right. Is to put this within our reach. And if the best we have to do is cry out, well, I think he's within reach. If the best we have to do is be angry, I think he's within reach. And I think if the best we have is like a really broken, shattered version of faith that we grew up with or we picked up along the way, and we're saying, hey, here's a thousand pieces and I don't even know which ones are you. I think it's within reach. And I think Jesus says he's got you. I think that's the beauty of this for the world. But let's zoom in just for a second for us to you. This Christmas, what if you could believe? That that's what belief looked like. So a few times this week, I was reminded of how easy it is to believe for other people, but not for us. It's really easy to believe that, well, you, your, your belief in Jesus is, is plenty. You're doing wonderful. Good. Jesus is there with you. He's Emmanuel. It's within reach. He's for you. And then when it comes to me, oh, I, I've got I've to clean some stuff up. I, I've got to climb the ladder. I've got to do some different things. It's true for you, but it's not so true for me. What if this Christmas it was true for me? And what if you could say it's, it's true for me? I think this is why belief is hard. I think this is why it's actually hard. Because we're still just holding our shattered understanding or our simple understanding or our emotion. And, and everything is Jesus. And we would feel a little better if it was like yeah, at least like 2080. Like if I at least brought something, if I at least accomplished something, if some of it was on my effort or some of it was on anything like that. But I believe that I believe that I believe. But Jesus isn't condemning the world or you. It's not his intent. Jesus will judge. I think we need that. We need justice. That's part of setting the world right, right? It's not, he didn't come to condemn. He's not against you. He's not against the world. He's not lighting a match. He's not making this faith hard, this belief hard. He's making it knee high so we can reach it. And that's true for our neighbors. That's true for that everyone around. But that's really, really true for you. And knowing some of your stories, I hope that you can believe that this year. That all your efforting is more than enough. He's got you. Jesus has you. And he means well. He comes to bring hope, peace, joy, and love. For the world, but for your home as well. For you as well. We're going to have a minute to, in, in a couple minutes, we'll, we'll sneak over here. If anyone wants to just talk about this or argue with me that I'm wrong, uh, that's fine. We can do that. Um, if you want someone to pray with, anything like that, we'll, we'll take some time over here in just a minute. But as we kind of close this service, I, I just want to pray over us that this, 
leaks into us. And honestly, that we feel some relief. That we feel some burden lifted. Okay? So if you'll pray with me. Jesus, thanks for who you are. Thanks for how you came. Thanks that you came as Emmanuel, that you came as God with us. Thanks for your love, your hope, your joy, your peace. And thanks that we can really trust that you're enough. And I ask that you would teach us to do just that. In your name. Amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. We will be back next week wrapping up this, this series. And uh, be well.